Hey guys, it's Robert. Quick message. One, go out and check out a veteran-owned business and look at their products and services by visiting veteranownedus.com. If you're a veteran-owned business and you're not already listed, well then make sure that you join up by hitting the join up in the menu. Secondly, if you want to help support this podcast, you can go out to patreon.com slash mentors, the number four M-I-L, and become a patron. It's real simple. Again, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash mentors, the number four M-I-L. You'll help us bring in great content and great guests. And a big shout out to Richard Mendez for becoming a tier one asset patron on Patreon. Thanks so much, Richard, for all your support. This podcast is sponsored by Uncanna, trusted natural solutions. Uncanna is a leading voice of advocacy for CBD in the veteran LEO and federal communities. Veteran-owned and operated, the Uncanna team is actively fighting for DOD access to CBD with political pressure, community support, and a simple message. Hashtag OpNatural. Uncanna is vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell, supplying premium, small-batch products to America's best. Use code mentors the number four MIL at checkout at uncana.com to receive your amazing discount. Read the Mentors for Military disclaimer at mentorsformilitary.com slash disclaimer. Mentors for Military Podcast. Stephen, you're coming to us from uh, Budapest. So what brought you to there? I mean, is that full circle where you started out from or what's the deal? Yeah, well, I I, uh, I started out in Germany when I was stationed in, uh, in, in around Frankfurt area. And uh, <clears throat> I spent all, all of my almost eight years in the military in Germany bouncing around different places. I kept extending. It was during the Cold War most of the time. Mm-hmm. So you could extend almost as long as you wanted during the Cold War because no one wanted to be there, I guess. And then <clears throat> I went to Iraq. And after I came back from Iraq, I decided to get out. So it took another almost two years to get out. And I, I thought, well, I'm not done yet. I don't want to go home yet. So I, just, I, I did a European out and stayed in Europe. So I walked off base and I was a civilian. I didn't go back and out process. I out processed in Germany. And I've been here ever since. That was 1993, January. We were texting back and forth about me being an 11th ACR and you guys coming up and doing border duty as well. The half cab, yeah, that's what they the half cab. Yeah, yeah, we were the we were the eighth cavalry. We were in Gelnhausen, which was oh, yeah. 45 minutes from from uh, from Fulda, and we drive down um, A66, Autobahn 66, and get down to you guys, Fulda, um, Rasdorf, Schlitz, all those places. Oh yeah, um, yeah, what a great time that was, wasn't it? Yeah, have it you ever time. been back there since they uh, converted that to a museum? Oh yeah, I have. I have. Oh really? Um, and I... It's quite amazing. I mean, it, because you walk on base or on it's not really a base. It's more like a post or a, a outpost or whatever. Um, actually, they call it outpost alpha now. Yeah. So it used to be called observation post, but yeah, um, it's it's weird because they didn't change anything. Like you walk and you're like, oh my god, this is exactly the same. Yeah, it's they crazy. They have mannequins. They have mannequins in the towers and stuff with uniforms on, and you're like, this this is flashback. Almost- Yes. Yeah, and they actually – it's as if they cut a slice out of out of the entire area because you have our base. Then you have the the, the matchsticks that were in the ground, right, mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. represented our border, our tower. 
Then 100 meters away, you have their fence, and behind that, you have their tower. So you have the entire strip about 50 meters wide going about 200 meters out. So it's like a, it's like a piece of East and West Germany stayed there and never moved. I got there in 1982, and my I think I had been there probably a, a month before I got sent up to the border. You know, being at Fulda, we were up there all the time. And once you got as an NCO, I was an E5 at the time frame. Once you got border qualified, meaning that you were allowed to be in the 1K zone for those who may not know, since the border is no longer there. Um, yeah. Once you got border certified or border qualified. Then you led patrols, you did certain things, and you were allowed to be inside that 1K zone. So most of the time, though, I got picked to be on tower duty, and my wife came over from the States, and my daughter, uh, who was an infant at the time frame, my oldest, and uh, they brought them up for Thanksgiving. And so they bust them in into this compound, and you remember it, Stephen, like we're talking about. It was probably all of about two football fields, um, you know, long and wide. And fenced in, and as a matter of fact, you're talking about the various degrees of fencing. The fence of the compound that we were in was a chain link fence, and if you stuck your finger through it, you were basically sticking it into East Germany at that time frame because the line of the treaty line was right along that fence line. So we'd have these Germans that would come right up with a 35-millimeter camera up to the, the fence and take photos and such. But at any rate, my wife and uh, daughter came up there, and it was Thanksgiving. Um, They allowed us to eat in the little dining facility that we had there for Thanksgiving dinner. We took our, you know, me and another guy who did a lot of the tower duty and stuff, took our wives up to the tower, and we were looking through a uh, a tow site over at the other tower, the East German Tower. And this dude walks out on the East German Tower at this time frame. It was the old uh, tower with the... The, the pipes and everything. Stacks. Yeah, that's right. Stack. Yeah. Like the stick in the ground and everything for drainage. But it was, that's what was holding this tower up. And this guy walks out and starts urinating off the side of the tower. And so that's kind of the, they shot it off. Yeah. That's the whole thing that we used to do <laughs> is that we would have so much fun with one another on both sides and stuff, uh, you know, even though we were yeah. enemies. Yeah. Play games like all the time. Yeah, and um, so anyway, it, it, I'd love to go back there. It's on my bucket list. I have not oh, been back. Go. Yeah, I haven't been. Did you ever walk down to, um, what was the name of the town that's? Uh, Rasdorf. No, no, Rasdorf's on our side. What was the, yeah, right. uh, um, what, was the, what was the town on the other side? Yeah, good question. I forget. I, I remember I remember our GDP was Schlitz, Grossenmorbol, um uh, I forget, I forget, I forget. Rasdorf. Ah, oh, what is it? Um, uh, it's not coming to me, but it will. Yeah, but at any rate, I, I yeah. wanted to walk, you know, I want to go back over there and I want to walk from our OP Alpha across over and down into that town because that's what we watched all the freaking time was that town. Oh, was it, was it this, was it the lady on the balcony mornings doing topless aerobics? <laughs> the one year old? We're all there. We were all keyed in on that. Of course, they're moving towers and stuff over here, but no one was watching. We were like watching that way. Yeah, I guess called half calf. Yeah, it right. was uh, it was good times back then. Uh, well, not good times because I mean we spent a lot of damn time. We weren't on the border. We were out in the field training and stuff. But um, anyway, after you, um, you know, you said you spent several tours and stuff over there, and then you got out. Um, what made you decide to? You, to, you said you just decided to stay in the in Germany because you loved it so much, or what made you decide to stay there? Yeah, um, um, it's really weird because when I when I got off the plane in Ramstein, or yeah, Ramstein, that's where it was, and I got off and I was like, wow, man, this really feels like home. I really feel like I belong here, you know. And we went because I went to Gelnhausen, which is like this old, you know, half what do they call those 
half wooden houses, you know, the Fachwerk. I don't know what it's called in, in English, but, you know, they're like white cross beams with, I mean, um, brown cross beams with white plaster in between, you know, those old German houses. And I, I was like, wow, this is like Bavaria. Where's the Lederhosen? You know, like, you know, where the, you know. <laughs> and uh, I really, really loved it there. And what I did was I made it a point to leave base uh, as much as possible and go out as far away as I could um, to meet people. And I ended up, you know, going to a, a place called Firstenau. And it's almost by it's almost all the way up there um, by like Cologne and and stuff like that. Yeah, sort of on that side of the city. And I, I met a girl and you know started. So I drive those five hours every as much as I could, right? Uh, and and I and I just loved it. So I got out. And at the time I was in Schweinfurt, and I moved. I went back to Berlin, Germany. So I went back to Berlin, opened up a bar after about a year of crashing and burning and getting in fights and trying to figure out who I was and that kind of stuff, you know. Actually, it lasted longer than a year, but I opened the bar anyway. <laughs> the fights or the the fights or the bars lasted over a year. <laughs> oh, oh, oh the, the bars lasted ten years. So, okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> and the fights lasted about three years because I was a doorman when I first. What else can you do? I was a tanker. Okay. Right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was a cab. I was a tanker. They're like, what can you do? I can, you know, I can run over shit. So you know, I they they basically I was a, a, a bouncer at uh, the Hard Rock Cafe and at a at a techno club and just all kinds of crazy stuff. And uh, I loved it, man. And I realized really quick, and even in the military, I realized because I started speaking German when I was in the military. So I wanted to know what they were saying on the other side. Sure. Right? Because we had those microphones, you know, underneath and stuff like that. And so I wanted to know on the other side of the wall, what are they saying? Because, you know, we thought we could, we could, you know, end the Cold War, right? So if I understand what they're saying, I could tell, you know, commander, that kind of stuff. And so that's how I learned German, taught myself. And I realized when I was in the military, every time they needed someone to talk to the mayor, the police, or whoever, they always say, hey, Coon, get over here, you know. So I thought, okay, if I, if I make myself you know, unique in every situation then I'm always going to be asked to do something. Yeah. And so that's what I did. That's what I did in Germany. So I was the American that spoke almost perfect German and I used that to my advantage. So I would get called for all kinds of stuff. Um, and because I, I sort of, I didn't hedge my American in, I, I hedged the American attitude. So I didn't wear like red, white, and blue running around the streets, but my attitude of get it done no matter what will make it happen. That really shot through. And within a couple of years, uh, well, actually within three years of getting out, I was, you know, director of Europe for a large corporation was listed on the stock market, um, you know, making like 300 grand a year. I was like, what, when are they going to figure out? They have no idea who the, who I am. You know, I was like, I'm a tanker. What the hell am I doing here? Honest to God. I was like, God dang, I don't even know, you know, if they find out that I don't know what the hell I'm doing, that, that's what it felt like. Yeah. Know? Yeah. But I, I took solace and I had a great CEO and he just said, look, man, just trust your gut. You have it. I don't worry about anything that any any decision you make I trust it because you, you you got the gut you know you have the intuition and that really empowered me so from there I just started doing my own thing and you know the rest is history I guess you could say you know I, I I've never made a career I got I got to say that I've never had a career I've always done what I wanted to do made good money you know I like I I heard Mick Jagger was in town one time in Berlin for 3 weeks and his bodyguard stayed in uh UK so I went to his hotel and walked up to him and said I'm your new bodyguard and he was like what, uh, what? yeah yeah, yeah. And I said, hey, Mick Jagger. He goes, yeah. And I said, hey, I'm your new bodyguard. He's like, what do you mean? Who sent you? I said, well, you're, I know your bodyguard stayed in, in the UK, so I'm your new bodyguard. And he said, well, who sent you? I said, I sent me. And I said, I'm a veteran. I know the city. I speak German. Da, 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 da. And he said, talk to CJ. Uh, CJ was, I guess this is somebody. And uh, CJ said, one question, you got the job. And I was like, what? And he said, do you know where to get the best German sausage? I said, man, I know it. And he said, okay, how's 400 bucks a day? Deal. <laughs> and I was Mick Jagger's bodyguard. Yeah, I did shit like that all the time. Mick, uh, Olivia Newton-John, Andrea Bocelli, 
you know, I, I worked for Andrea for two years. I worked with uh, Olivia for almost three years. I worked with the German parliament. I worked with uh, parties in Germany. Uh, I was a co-founder of one of the German uh, grassroots organizations that's turned into a party. It's now the third largest party in Germany. And that was all just the guy from the party. He was a royal family, like the German royals. And I met, I saw him on a boat sitting by himself. I was on a cruise in Berlin with some friends who were visiting. And he was sitting there sweating in the sun. I was like, Boy, poor dude. So I said, hey, I'm going to go get a beer. You want one? He was like, yeah, sure. And that's how we met. And he was reading a book, right? And I looked down at the book he was reading. And it was my book. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> and I was that, that's me. He's like, oh my God. And then that's how I met him. He happens to be one of the royals who is really well connected. So I met the entire royal sort of, you know, lineage of Germany and the UK. Um, I didn't meet the queen, but I was um, uh, with my ex-girlfriend who was the duchess. Um, uh, we were invited to Prince Harry's 18th birthday party. Wow. I didn't go. I didn't go. I broke up with her before that. Stupid me. <laughs> I should have said that. <laughs> you know? So just crazy stories. I could go on all day about these crazy stories. And it was only because one thing, and that was no matter who I met, no matter where I went, no matter who it was, what job I was in, it was, I only had one intention. That was to add value. No matter what. I didn't care if I got anything yeah. out of it. I didn't care if I got any feedback. I didn't care. I just wanted to add value so they knew they could always come back to me. And man, did that pay off. Why didn't you start an executive protection agency then? Because that seemed like the normal thing to do. And why would I do something normal? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you had it rolling, right? I mean, you had all the connections. You had already built yourself up to the where it was a perfect opportunity for you to, you know, pull out your entrepreneurship and yep. create a, a, an executive protection agency. And man, uh, you know, who knows where it would have been now? You know, well, that, that never interests me. It, it yeah. was it was always like, well, I sort of did that. You know, you're in the military. I did that kind of thing. I wanted to get as far away from, uh, like, because for me, it was always about identity, right? So where. <laughs> Who am I? Like, you know, when, when I was in the military, it was easy, mm -hmm. right? I'm here, big mission, fulfillment. You know, it's just that full, I write the check and we'll see what happens kind of thing. But I know my mission. I know what I'm here for and I fully support it, right? When you get out, you know, you get a job as a doorman. There's nothing behind that. Yeah. So I was always looking for that fulfillment and I wanted something new and fresh and big and large, you know. You know, so it, that's, I guess that's why I turned down all the normal. I mean, I had job offers after that Mick Jagger thing. Like I got all kinds of job offers, but uh, just it's a challenge, isn't it? I think for people transitioning to try to find yeah. their purpose or their passion. And I think a lot of guys struggle, you know, in trying to identify what that is. And if they haven't figured it out before they get out, I think they end up being a lot like what you're talking about. They maybe stumble on a, cr a few things. Ah, yeah. Okay. This feels comfortable. I'll do it. Or, Hey, this is fun. What the hell I'm making good money. And then they bounce and bounce and, and they're, you know, until they finally found something that really is their passion. And I, or I think, not. Yeah, or not. Yeah. I, I think for you, that's kind of where you've been really successful in, um, you know, helping other organizations and businesses and stuff like that is to help them not only identify, you know, the, the people identify what their purpose and passion is. Organizations identify what their purpose, their passion is, what their vision is and stick with it. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, there's, there's an adaptation to that as well. I mean, our, our identity is always changing. And so is, like, for instance, a company that scales and grows and gets large, they have to readjust their vision and their mission, their value proposition, yep. all kind of stuff. So we as humans got to do the same thing. And that's what our that's what our book is about, um, Unleash Your Humble Alpha. And that's with my partner, Lane Ballone, who's an SF veteran. Uh, I think he's 21 years younger than me. So it's a, it's a really cool balance because he's got that sort of uh, younger view of things. I got the older view of things. We bounce a lot of stuff off each other. We talk 10 times a day like, like two teenage girls. And, you know, and... Uh, 
we read about that. So how do you find your purpose? You know, a lot of people think pur- purpose and passion is the way to go. You drive towards that. But how do you find that? The only way you can find that, in our opinion, is to find out who you are first. Who's, who's, what's your identity? For your true identity. What do you like? Who do you like? What do you like doing? What do you like receiving, giving? You know, that, 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 that's going to give you a picture of who you really are. And once you realize that, you're like, well, you know what? What I'm doing now doesn't fit with that. What fits with that? And things start crystallizing much easier because you know suddenly who you are. And once you have your purpose, life becomes almost effortless because of one thing, and that's certainty. Once you have certainty, you can let go of the how. How am I going to make this money? How am I going to get to where I want to go? How am I going to – because when you're certain about it, your identity amplifies – I mean your identity is amplified through your purpose. And that just drives you forward because you're coming from a core, what we call – it's in the book. So we, it's called the core uh, principles of HIT honesty, integrity, and transparency. And that's what we sort of base the entire book on. There's five proprietary sort of models that we use that we went through, combed through our entire life to find out where we really screwed up and how we got out of it. You know, and so we, we tell the story, we tell the lesson, and then we teach you how to do it. That's how the book is. It's five different stages. And at the end of every stage, there's action plan, like action steps. Do this, do this, do this, and don't go to the next chapter until you're done with this because this will change you. It will make you a humble alpha. And humble alpha is basically alpha on the inside, humble on the outside. Like like a nuclear reactor, you don't see anything. You see one rod. It just it, it powers a whole city. You know, it's it's this big. It's it's nothing. Yeah. So that's we say your your nuclear reactor is your alpha. Good stuff. Just going to touch on what Stephen's saying. So I, I've been a member of one of Stephen's groups for probably two years now, and yeah. I I, I got to say, I'm really looking forward to the book coming out because what, what Stephen was saying earlier about wanting to add value, and I, I've seen that since the day we connected actually was through one of um i think it was through one of your, your videos and i've i've seen steven in various groups and he daily and i don't know anybody who puts out as much content as steven and doesn't ask for anything in return from anybody nope. just gives 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 and you know, it works you know <laughs> and and i've 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 told people previously, you need to watch Stephen in terms of what he's doing and copy that because when people have said, you know, how do I get my business to grow and, and do things? And I've said, watch this guy and watch how he gives and that gets returned and that gets paid back, you know, and it's, it's, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to reading the book and, and seeing what drives you and, you know, you crystallizing that and quantifying it and qualifying it within uh, a book so it's i'm yeah. really looking forward to seeing that. awesome awesome feedback brother i know we did meet a while ago it's been like two years mm, two years yeah two years yeah, yeah. well you know it, there's one thing that makes it all clear is that when you realize the only thing we control is the intention and nothing else mm. the expectation the outcome we don't control any of that so if you focus on the intention of adding value solving problems and you believe in the law of reciprocity which i do you know if you give what you have you receive back what you don't have and i'll tell you the story Almost three years ago now, I was you know, a full-time consultant running my own business, uh, traveling four days a week, nine countries, pain in the ass, you know, really, really bad, making a lot of money and spending a lot of money. Right. So I came home and my kids were at the time two and three and I said, I'm done. I'm not going anymore. I literally came home on a Thursday and said, I'm done. And my wife's like, what are you going to do? I said, I have no idea. Right. So I went on Facebook. You know, and I was like, oh, veteran, you know, veterans, veterans. So I went into the Vetrepreneur Tribe, which was like maybe 2,000, 3,000 people at the time. And I just said, I'm Steven, I'm a consultant, I'm going to help you run your business and fix it. And that's all I did. And I just went in there every single day, right? Actually, I had four groups by that time, uh, the humble man, all this kind of stuff. And I just did four videos a day and just adding value, free business advice. And what happened was people would come and say, look, I, I heard what you said. I understand how to do it, but could you do it for me? Because I feel like I could use your help. So in three months, 
from the first video I ever did in three months, not only did I make a hundred grand, but I, I was booked for four talks in America, Bunker Labs, uh, Military Influences Conference, uh, Clever Talks. And I was just booked for all these. And I was like a hundred podcasts in three months. And I never in one time did I ask for anything, you know, want in my mind. Oh, I hope this works because, you know. So if you focus, this is what happens. If we're talking and I want to sell you something, you're going to feel it. You, you're going to know I'm trying to sell you something. Yeah. But if my intention is to add value and to solve your problems, no matter what. You're going to be like, this is crazy. And in the book, we call that creating space, right? So when you show up and you talk to somebody, even for a podcast, a speech, a sales pitch, whatever it is, giving or receiving, you simply have one intention. That's that's to give value and solve problems, right? And what that does is it creates space around everyone that's sort of neutral and easygoing. And then you you literally step into your greatness and have conversations like this one here where it was never planned. We can never even came up with it if we wanted to because we're using our head and not letting it go into that space that creates its own. So we, re, we teach you how to do that specifically, like you're outside of a meeting room, okay, here we go, let go of everything. No expectations, no cookie cutter solutions, no preconceived notions, no pitches, nothing. Value, solving problems, period, done. And man, it, it, it really, really helps your business and it attracts the right people to you and your business. So we're gonna have people who are gonna be listening to this who are still on active duty what you're saying applies not only to business, but just to pure leadership, management of personnel, and getting organizations to drive and add value up, right? The chain. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's exactly in, in the book. Stage four is about your, your organization. So how do I make my organization humble alphas? You know, it's about integration across all four areas of life, body, mind, relationships, and business, right? And in, in, in between those, there's other subcategories, but we'll keep it at that for now. And we teach you how to, to, to do certain things like ask the three questions if they have a problem and they want you to solve it for them. You ask them three, three ways that they would solve it. And they're like, why three ways? Because we want to see, you want to see it from different angles. And that's how you learn to expand your mind. And then when they come back with three suggestions, you say, well, which one would you do? Which one would you choose? Well, I think I'll choose this one. Okay, then do it. You know, If you stand behind it, then do it. And that teaches them to take control and take ownership and leadership it forces them to do it but on their terms right mm -hmm. so it's sort of they they, they do everything and it's, it's about delegation delegating the task but not the responsibility the responsibility is mine i can't give it pass over to you only the task itself and just all of these things that we teach and how do you set up how do you go into the existing team for instance you get promoted i was a spec four i got promoted to e5 as a sergeant in the same unit they didn't see me as a sergeant. They saw me as a spec four. Sure. Right? So as Kuhn, uh, Kuhn Dog, they used to call me. And um, uh, then I went to Berlin Brigade, and everybody's like, oh, sergeant. Like, he never was anything else but a sergeant. You know what I mean? So right. it's, it's that kind of thing. How do you, in a situation where you're a spec four, you get promoted to an E5 or whatever, how do you own that without changing who you are? Right? You know what I mean? Because, oh, yeah. you know, some people are like, I'm a sergeant now. Uh, you can't talk to me like that anymore. I'm a sergeant. And as soon as you start doing that, defend, uh, you're, you're done. Yeah. Because then so you're hiding the behind your rank. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing in life. So it's the same thing in life. You get promoted within a team. How do you walk into a company that's failing and turn it around in a month or two with the same team? People are baffled. It's, it's, it's because you're doing the same thing. You have intentions. Only expectations that anyone should have, and this is for your wife as well, by the way, um, is those intentions that you verbalize. If you don't verbalize an intention, or sorry, an expectation, then uh, you're going to be disappointed. You'll because they'll never be met, never. 
Well, I think that goes into good communication, right? So if you are a good communicator, um, you're going to probably do very well. And good communicator means that the person listening to you has interpreted it properly in the way in which you meant for it to come across. So I think the challenge is sometimes people aren't as well a communicator as you may think you are. Like, for instance, I may say, hey, I need to buy tomorrow as a boss. You may interpret that as, okay, well, I have to give that to you by close of business today. Another person may say, well, he needs it first thing in the morning. While another person may say, well, no, he don't need it till you know tomorrow close of business or even the following morning by the time he comes into work. So it's, did I, you know, share enough information and provide enough detail so that you are interpreting what my intent was and what I'm trying to get across? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just that's one of the things we teach well is, is if someone is is does the wrong thing or is confused about after the after the fact, I ask myself, did I was I clear enough? You mm-hmm. know, did I did I ensure that they understood? Like, to have them repeat it back, not you know, not like that, but. You know, yeah. seeing if they understood by the way they spoke back to me. Yeah. You know, the way I, I listened, what they say, but I heard what they meant. You know, and if we don't do that, they're going to say, "What are we talking? About? You told me this. No, but I meant that." Uh. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Happens a lot. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it happens way too often. I think a lot of people put the responsibility of good communication on the receiver. Yeah. When somebody gives is transmitting, let's say, they they assume that the responsibility of that message is with the person receiving it, but it's completely wrong. It's the person transmitting that information. You have to get the correct information across, but people often say you misunderstood what I said. Yeah. That's not their responsibility. That's you've said it Amen. incorrectly. And people Amen. need to get that mindset the, the right way around. And you're responsible for the message that's going out. Not the person is responsible to receiving. Receive that yeah. Amen. To that. Amen to that. I totally agree. Yeah. So um, as part of the challenge or some of the work that you've done within your book is uh, covering things like, um, you know, identifying problems and creating solutions for that in terms of trying to find and add additional value to the organization. Does it cover anything along those lines? For sure. It's, it's, you know, adding value and solving problems is is the blue line through the entire book. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, because that's the number one, like I said, that's the only thing we can control is that intention. Yeah. We don't need to control anything else, really. Anything can happen. Once it passes from you to somebody else, there's always a, d- a degree of separation that's sort of going to change a few things, right? And we were talking about communication there. You know, I, I, there was times in my, in my life where I was, a, you know, in that corporation, and I asked a guy, okay, do you understand? This is what I want. This, 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 that, that, this, this, that. Call the guy. Don't talk to a secretary. Talk to him personally. Mm-hmm. You understand? Yeah. Okay, good. Did, did you do it? Yeah, good. And then something that's, you know, the delivery doesn't happen. I'm like, did you talk to him? Well, no, I talked to a secretary. You know, it's like... God, you know, mm. much, you know, you mm. got to be, it's so, you got to be so patient. Right. So what I was doing was I was pushing too hard, right? I was like, do you understand? Do you understand? Do you understand? So I had to back off and allow him to sort of embody it and then repeat it back or write it down to me. Hey, shoot me a letter. What, 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 what happened? And then he'll write it on his own and then I can ask questions. So that way it's not me pushing them. When you push somebody, they get small. Their mind gets, you know, sort of that fear, if you will. And that has to do with expectations as well. Because if you know, oh, Stephen, Stephen called me in his office. Oh, shit, what does he want? You know, and that that's not a good thing because they have expectations of it's going to be negative, right? And yeah. why is that? Because of how I was acting. So I had to change all that, man. That was a lot of work. That was a lot of work. So later, when I, I so I, I left these companies and I went back as a consultant, right? So I'd, I'd work on all their locations. <clears throat> and I'd walk in the office first day, and be like, 
<clears throat> this is a conflict-free zone from now on, conflict-free, all positive. You know, whatever it is, we can work anything out. We can do it positively. People are like, oh, this dude's nuts. One of these don't, don't Tony Robbins freaks. You know, that's what they'd say, right? <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then I'd go in and just i just clean house uh, with all the negativity, and we'd have a blast. And to this day, the people that I worked with after that point, when I when I changed, you know, the way I, I, I operated, um, they're amazing relationships that I have. I mean, they all came to my wedding. I go to the, we go to their weddings. It's just incredible. We, 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 we do like Qigong and Tai Chi during the middle of the day for 10 minutes to sort of bond the team. I mean, I, I went a little crazy. <laughs> well, we yeah. all three uh, help veterans in different ways. Obviously, this podcast is by one means in which, you know, Mentorship Military does that. But we, Scott has Veteran Owned UK. Um, yep. Mentorship Military just started up Veteran Owned US, in which we're trying to get a director here, very much like Veteran Owned UK. Um, do you have Veteran uh, Tribe and you have other organizations or things that you've done? So I'm going to put you on the spot here for a minute. Yep. Um, what do you find is the greatest challenge from uh, young entrepreneurs, veteran entrepreneurs, in starting up a business and trying to get it off the ground? W- what do you think? Because, I mean, I see so many people trying to copycat the yeah. very same thing that others have done or at least see, hey, they were successful doing that, let's say, apparel or coffee yeah. or, you know. Yeah. So w- what is the suggestion or what is the challenge, to the biggest challenge that you see uh, that's happening out there? Well, there's, there's two ways to look at this. One is a mindset challenge, and the other one is actually the activity challenge. What are you going to do? The mindset challenge is a challenge of uh, you know scarcity mindset, where gee, I got to get something quick. I got to before I, you know I'm getting out. I don't know what to do. And they push it to the very end, and then they decide, oh shit, I got to do something, right? So that scarcity mindset, once they get out, is man, I got to get something quick. So they take the first thing, or they look at others and they copy. Number one, number two, in the veteran space itself, in my opinion is there's too little cooperation. Everybody's competing. There's fifty thousand. Nonprofits, veteran nonprofits, mm-hmm. and the suicide rates are still up there. Yeah, right. So nothing's changing. What are we doing wrong? We're not working together. Everyone wants to be the hero or whatever it is. I don't, you know, whatever. Everyone has a right to be. That's fine. But I think we need to work together, which is why what my intention is with the Vetpreneur Tribe. I mean, we're we're opening up the Warrior Council again. So that that'll be groups of the same types of businesses working together in private rooms, and then we come back to the Zoom room, and then we present each, you know, during the week in the tribe itself, the free group. Uh, what we came up with. So it'll be like really business driven and to help these guys um, in, in their mindset saying, look, you know, you don't have to copy somebody else. What's your identity? What's your purpose? Once you find out, we can help you get there. That's the whole point of it. And I've consulted directly, I don't know, 250, 300 veterans in the last three years from that group, like directly consulted them on their business. Um, I stopped counting after like, I don't know, 180 or whatever it was. Um, and the the other thing is is that they want quick solutions because they're used to that. Let's face it, we we talk about yeah, I'm a leader. I was in the military. Da, da, da. We were spoon fed and our asses were wiped. You know, I mean, seriously, we have the mindset to drive through anything, but we don't have to worry about anything else. Well, that shit changes when you get out. You got to worry about everything. You know, I mean, when I got out, I was 27 or 28. I, I might as well have been 18 again. Yeah. I didn't know anything about the civilian world. You know, what I mean, it's like, I don't know anything about the civilian world. Like, what does this work? Why is that working? Why does this happen? So, you know, we got to be real. We got to realize we got to prepare for that. And the way to prepare for that is to find out who you are, what it is that you really, really want to do, what drives you, and start before you get out. But if you do get out, then you got to join group support groups like Veteran Owned UK, Veteran Owned US, Vetpreneur Tribe, Warrior Council, and get in there and say, not be scared to ask for help. That's the number one thing. You know? Yeah. Not be scared and never let anyone tell you you can't do something. But if you're out there just trying to ride on somebody's coattails, you're going to fail. 
you might make a little money, you might make it through, but you're not you're not going to be the 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 epic person that, that's already inside of you, just waiting to bust out. All right, so we talked a little bit about your book, and well, actually, we talked a lot about your book uh, during the show. So um, I want you to to be able to um, pitch that a little bit, you know, here at, and uh, talk about when it's going to be available because some people are going to listen to this and they're going to go, okay, I, I'd like to know when yeah. is that going to come out? How can I get right. more information about it? So maybe this right. is a great opportunity for you to share that information and where they can learn more about Stephen Coombe. Sure, that's humblealphabook.com. And it's already on a crowdsourcing campaign right now, a crowdfunding campaign right now on our own platform. So we, we didn't want to use Kickstarter or you know any of those other ones um, because we're giving 100% of the proceeds to a charity. Uh, we got busted for not being a veteran charity, but it's a, it's a charity that feeds children in America. Um, and they've, they've made 3.6 million meals already. And every book that we sell feeds three children. So we sort of what's called a strategic book launch. Um, you go on you go on our platform, humblealphabook.com, register, and then you can pick out a couple perks. So you can buy the PDF, you can buy the book, you know, soft cover or hard cover. You can buy um, the audiobook, you can buy the package, or an hour with me and the book, hour with myself and Lane and the book. You know, it's the whole perks. You can get all the way up to twenty five grand where we all fly to Hawaii and feed, you know, like a thousand kids in one at one go, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so we really, really tried to make it creative where there's more than just one win. Okay. And you also have your own website, Stephen KUHN dot com. Indeed, that's my speaking and sort of consulting website. And then I have a partner website with Lane. And it's called QOLenterprises.com, Q as in, you know, Quebec, QOLenterprises.com. And QOL stands for the thing that I see at the end of all of my videos. And that's, you know, it's all about quality of life, you know. So that's where that came from. So the QOL Enterprise. <laughs> Love it. <Yeah. laughs> well, uh, once this uh, pandemic and everything starts easing off, is it uh, is there something coming up that you're going to be on the road that people can come to as well and, and maybe experience uh, an event or a seminar? Uh, not nothing that I know of. You know, I've I didn't the ones that I was booked for. I said let's just cancel it because who knows what's going to happen. I didn't say let's push it out and then re-push it out and re-push it. Let's just cancel it and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um. You know, the one thing we do, I do do every year is we go with a group, typically veteran business owners, and we go to Peru, and we go we go there for ten days and we 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 work with the sacred plant medicine and we we work through the identity, purpose, and certainty with the plant medicine and we do it in a way that's facilitated with the um, Keshua tribe, which is the last descendants of the Incans. So there's only 800 of them left. We work directly with them in the sacred Valley at the ruins. If you ever saw um, ancient uh, aliens on history channel, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's where it was. It was filmed right there, right where we stay. Okay. So we stay right there on a compound. And uh, that is just probably the highlight of my year every wow. year. I've been I've been doing I've been working with a sacred plant medicine for 16 years now, and if people say oh you get high it's psychedelic no it's not that at all we we don't go down there and jug the stuff you know we're, we're literally using it to facilitate um, getting rid rid of blockages and your conscious mind to let go of your conscious mind so your subconscious could actually lead the way and that kind of stuff and and you know it's uh, incredible results I got to tell you almost magic because when you when you're working with your subconscious and you can program it to over override your conscious, then you're you're sort of on autopilot in a way. Things that you've set in motion actually happen. Like this house that I'm in right now in Hungary, we signed for it, and we didn't even have the money for it. You know, we didn't have a mortgage. Couldn't get a mortgage because I'm American. Uh, didn't have the money. I was like, it's happening. But I already willed it. It's happening. Just sign the paperwork. And then within three days, I made like a hundred grand. 
I was, I was on a podcast, John Lee Dumas, you know, and uh, I was on his podcast. And two days later, I had 60K revenue just from that one podcast. And then I made some other money from other other pro- other clients that sort of popped in. And I was like, see, I told you. And it was like, it's, it's just like that. It's incredible. It doesn't always happen like that. You know, <laughs> believe me, it's tough to keep that that line of that, you know, that ease. It's, it's basically about letting go. Letting go of what you want. What what you resist will persist. So if I hold on to something really tight, you know, it's 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 going to stay there. So I got to let go of that fear. I got to let go of the things that say, oh, I need, I need, I want, I want. That's why you're not going to get it. Once you look away, you'll see it in your peripheral. Oh, there it is. Stephen, man, I've really appreciated you coming on the show and uh, sharing about your book, the information that you've dropped here. It's a lot of great knowledge I think that people can take away. So, uh, again, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thank you so much. It's a great, a great pleasure and good to see, see you guys again.